Pastor Ed Taylor observes the remarkable accuracy of the predictive prophecy we find throughout the Bible. When you think of prophecy and the coming of the Lord and His coming at hand and the things that are happening in the world today that no other generation has ever, ever seen. And you go, well, you know, I don't know. That's all, you know, you guys, just prophecy. You're just obsessed with prophecy. Oh, yeah. oh, you guys, you just take the Bible seriously. Yes, yes, we do. And when I open up to chapter 8 of Daniel, Daniel took it seriously. And now we look back and go, man, this was accurate to a T of what God wanted to communicate and reveal to us. This is amazing grace. The Lord, through His Word, gives us many prophecies, some of which have been fulfilled, and others that will be in the future. In Daniel, we're given both. In chapter 8, Daniel is given an amazing vision. He sees a ram, a goat, and then a little horn. Thankfully, our Lord gives us the interpretation here too, so we're not left to wonder. So if you're ready to dig into it, let's turn things over to Pastor Ed Taylor on Abounding Grace as we focus on events that have already happened. So here's Daniel. He has another vision. Pick up with me in Daniel chapter 8 in verse 1. During the third year of King Belshazzar's reign, I, Daniel, saw another vision. This is just a quick reminder. We're not in chronological order at this point in Daniel. This is going back a few chapters because we get that because it's Belshazzar's reign. And we already know that Babylon has already, has already moved on. Uh, we already know that's happened. So Daniel's taking us back in his writings a few years, maybe 20 years or so. So he says, during the third year of King Belshazzar's reign, I, Daniel, saw another vision following the one that had already appeared to me. In this vision, I was at the fortress of Susa in the province of Elam, standing beside the Ulai River. So here's another revelation, another dream, another startling dream that's coming on Daniel. And notice it says in verse 3, as I looked up, I saw a ram with two long horns standing beside the river. One of the horns was longer than the other, even though it had grown later than the other one. The ram butted everything out of his way to the west, to the north, and to the south, and no one could stand against him or help his victims. He did as he pleased and became very great. So you got a difficult dream, a difficult vision. More often than not, what we're faced with are difficult scriptures and difficult passages. I've already recommended a resource to us as a church. It's not in print anymore, so you've got to get a uh, used copy, but there's used copies available. Great Bible difficulty resource called When Critics Ask by Norm Geisler. When Critics Ask. It's a great resource to come to on difficult passages or supposed contradictions. It's a tool I've used for many, many, many years. I have it electronically now, so it's all tied to different verses and easier to find things. But what do you do? Do we immediately 
Just close it. This is too hard to understand. I don't know. Horn, budded everything to the west. Uh, you know, where's the Uli River? And Eli, you know, so many things to try to figure out. When you come to a difficult passage, do you just close the Bible, move on? Do you skip over it? Do you forget it? Do you just claim it's too hard? Do you grab a commentary or a dictionary, which are very helpful? A Bible handbook. Everyone here should have a Bible handbook. Uh, the one I recommend is Haley's Bible handbook. Uh, it's simple. It's kind of like a one or two paragraph commentary on the whole Bible. And it's easy that you can get the big theme. You won't get a lot of detail from it, but you can get the big theme of different chapters and how they tie together. Haley's Bible handbook. But I want to suggest to you something that you already have, and that is the Bible. The Bible is its own best commentary. The Bible helps us to understand other parts of the Bible. And we should seek to find our answers in the Bible first. The first place that I look for answers is any of the different scripture references. Sometimes in the, in, in the Bible I use, um, really I do most of my study online now, so there's a lot of links and a lot of connections and, and one resource that's very helpful. Let me give you a couple. I know there's a lot of resources. You're like, man, but it would be good to have these in your library. First of all, there's a free resource online. It's called blueletterbible.org. Blue Letter Bible, the way they want you to remember it is like the red letters, but it's the Blue Letter Bible. It started with some guys over at Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, and it's just exploded. Uh, free, powerful resources there. And I haven't been on there for a while, but one of the resources you want to look to find different passages that are connected to the scriptures is a resource called a treasury of scripture knowledge. A treasury of scripture knowledge. Now, I don't know, I forget the guy that wrote it, but he devoted his whole life to cross-referencing scriptures. So what I get to do on my computer is I just click a verse and I have a whole list of those treasury of scripture knowledge that I can then hover over all the verses and read them all. And it's like, oh, that's good, that's good. A lot of times when I say, hey, consider this particular verse, I got it from this treasury, treasury of scripture knowledge. And I forget the guy, but I can't wait to meet him in heaven and say, thank you. There's another guy you're gonna wanna thank in heaven too. His name is Strong. Because he created something called the Strong's Concordance, where he devoted his whole life to itemize every single word used in the King James Bible and give it a number. And he assigned every word a number. I, I literally just used this on the show today. I right-click a word on my computer, I look at the Strong's number, and then I slide that Strong's number over to the go-to resource that I've been using lately, which is a whole different, and you can email me if you're interested in that. I got a lot of resources. Those are, like you guys build houses, you have hammers and stuff, you like Lowe's. I like the library. Uh, the, the books are my tools. So at any rate, treasury scripture knowledge. Because you think, well, how can the Bible, how can, I, how can I let the Bible be its own best commentary if I don't even understand this verse? Well, one of the ways is to get some tools. So uh, recognizing that getting all these books may not be uh, in your budget. Blue Letter Bible is a good place to start. It's free. You can support them financially if you want, um, but all, all of it's free. And the Bible, it's its own best commentary. It needs to be the first thing we look at. It, it, you serious Bible students and you serious Bible teachers should not be using commentaries till you finish your message. Until, and only to use commentaries to say, when I open up a commentary, I, I either go, wow, that's a good point. I want to develop that. Or, man, I completely missed that. I didn't see that, and I think we need to add that. And 
On occasion, I may come to a conclusion where a commentator says, proves me wrong. And I'm just like, oh, oh, I really missed that. And so commentators, people that have gone before us, pastors that have written out their sermons like Spurgeon or Wearsby or quite a few others, uh, Barnes Notes and on and on the list goes, should only be secondary. The Bible is its own best commentary. So I want to show you in verse 20 of chapter 8, if you just jump down to verse 20, it says, we figure out what in the world is Daniel's dreams mean. Where are you going to find that out, Ed? Verse 20. The two-horned ram represents the kings of Media and Persia. We know them as Medes and Persians. And the shaggy male goat represents the king of Greece. And the large horn between his eyes represents the first king of the Greek empire. So we find the interpret before somebody, because with prophecy, people like to make, a, make it more than what it is. They like to extrapolate and make things up. And I mean, you see some of these guys on TV and they're just way out there when the Bible will give us insight. You know, to study the book of Revelation, Daniel and Revelation go together. To really understand Revelation, you have to have a good grasp of the entirety of the Old Testament. Because so many of the illustrations that are given to John on the island of Patmos in Revelation are already spoken of in the Old Testament. We already know what they mean. We already understand their significance because they've been used earlier. So you can't just make up your own ideas. You can't just make it up as you go. The Bible is one compact unit in its own best commentary. So we are introduced back in chapter 8 now. In this vision, it says in verse 8, he's standing in the fortress of Susa uh, in the province. He's standing behind, beside, and he looks up, it says, verse 3, and he sees a ram with two long horns. The ram represents, according to the scriptures, the Medo-Persian Empire. And we're going to zero in on that. The ram represents the Medo-Persian Empire. And, and the question is, well, how do you know that, Ed? Did you just make that up? I didn't. We just read in verse 20, in verse 20, it says the two-horned ram represents the kings of Media and Persia. And I just did something right now. You know what I did? I repeated something for you. So that through repetition, I can make the point that the Bible is its own best commentary. Don't forget that. If they only read one book and you don't go to any websites and you don't go to any other resources, you never buy another book, if you master the Bible, the Holy Spirit will teach you and lead you into all truth. Because you might be going here, man, Ed, it's just enough for me to read the Bible. Well, good, read the Bible. If you have extra time and you have a little bit of extra time and you're not that big of a reader, read more of the Bible. And if you've got a little bit of extra time after that, just read more of the Bible. And God will bless that in your life. Don't read it like you have to understand every single word. Just read it open to the Holy Spirit. Like a Bible study like this. Don't sit through a Bible study and go, I have to understand every single thing the pastor says. No, just come ready to receive what the Lord has for you that day and has for you that moment. Hey, try this on me. Try this. I'll, I'll give you a test. You sit through this Bible study. In a month, re-listen to this Bible study and tell me if God doesn't teach you something different through it. Because you'll be in a different place in a month. You don't even have to wait a month. You can do a week. You don't have to wait a week. It could be a day. However you walked in, the condition of your heart today, God had a word for you. And if you choose to listen to it again, God will have another word for you. And speak directly to your heart. There is that part of the Bible that is the logos. It is the written word. It is the specific word that's being used. But there's also a part of the word that is the rhema. 
And it's God's word to the moment. And God's, we, we would often say, we take the word of God and, and we read it. And then we would say, instead of the rhema word, although that's, that's the Hebrew for it, we would say that that's the application of it. God has an application. Doesn't it ever, doesn't it ever shock you? Uh, maybe even going home, you come to, to, to service with a friend, with your spouse, and you hear the exact same message. And when you're talking about it, it sounds like you were in two different rooms. Because the Holy Spirit was speaking to you. Same message, same teacher, same moment, same text, same application, same dumb story, same lame jokes, all of it. The same place. Talking about here, of course. Same place. But then you walk away going, were you in the same room as me? Because that's not what I got out. What, what I got was the middle person, repetition, repetition. I just, I keep getting this repetition. And then you go, well, what I got is I need to be in the Word more. And you're in the same Bible study, same place, and the Holy Spirit using the same text but to bring things to your heart. There's the logos, what it says, what it means, and then there's the rhema, how God is applying it in your life. Very important. So the ram are the Medes and the Persians in this dream. And the king of Media was larger, was the larger home, or horn, I should say, the bigger empire that helped Babylon can't conquer Assyria. Persia, a smaller kingdom, would come later. So you notice one of the horns, it says in verse 3, was longer than the other even though it had grown later than the other one. The ram butted everything out of his way to the west, this is verse 4, to the north, to the south, and no one could stand against him or help his victims. He did as he pleased and became very great. Together they become an incredibly strong, and they conquered the world in three different directions. And jot this down, We're not, we don't have time to develop it, but in some 200 years before he was born, 200 years, you know, you, you, you want a scope of, of 200 years here, our country, the United States, is just a little bit over 200 years old, just a few years after 200. So the entirety of the, the lifespan plus a few years is what we're talking Before, if you can think, before the United States became a country, it was predicted who the president of the United States would be in the year 2024 or 2028 or whatever year we're going to have the election. Consider this way more significant. In Isaiah chapter 45, verse 1, 200 years before he was born, God predicted by name, by name, King Cyrus. You can read it for yourself in Isaiah 45, verse 1. The God of all the earth knows history in advance. And so God reveals it here to Daniel, these things before it happens. Because when he has the dream, Babylon is still, King Belshazzar is still in office. So this hasn't happened yet in Daniel's life. And he receives it prophetically. It's the downfall of every man, every woman who chooses that path, that route. When you see what the leaders of Babylon did, they will fall. Cyrus, like many before him and after him, learned, and I quote, the powers that will someday be, the powers that be will someday be the powers that were. It's true for you too. The powers that be will someday be the powers that were. That's why to live with an eternal perspective is so vital. I received an email today, so I was going through my email, of a sister had mentioned that uh, recently there was a significant loss in her life. And, and I was reminded of being heavenly minded. I was reminded of what Jesus said. He said, where your treasures are, uh, there your heart will be also. And I was reminded that as we have so many of our loved ones over the years in heaven, we become more heavenly minded. That's where our treasure is, our earthly treasure. You know, and you think about in 
relationship to people that you love. That's probably the most significant expression of love that you can have on earth is with a person to another person. You love the Lord God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Of course, that's the most significant. But in this relationship, in this room, the most significant, most valued treasure that we have is another person, is a relationship. And the more we invest in that person, the more that where treasures are. And wherever our treasures are, our heart's going to naturally follow. And then comes our possessions. You know, things that we value, money, things, houses, cars, whatever. And whatever we treasure, our heart's going to be in it. And we're going to care about it. And we're going to think about it. And we're going to be worried about it. And we're going to be anxious about it. And how careful we need to be in these last days. Jesus put it this way. You can jot it down in Matthew 16. Jesus asked us this question. And how many times do we need to ask it of ourselves? What, of what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Without God, any position is really hopeless and meaningless. Any possession is meaningless. And here with the Medo-Persians, you've got Babylon and their leadership and their authority and autonomy around the world. And then the Medes and Persians knock them off. And now they're ruling the world and there's always an Alexander the Great ready to take them out because he's waiting in the wings in this vision. Notice in verse 5, while I was watching, suddenly a male goat appeared from the west, crossing the land so swiftly that it didn't, he didn't even touch the ground. This goat, which had one very large horn between its eyes, headed toward the two-horned ram that I had seen standing beside the river, rushing at him in a rage. The goat charged furiously at the ram and struck him, breaking off both his horns, and the ram was helpless, and the goat knocked him down, trampled him. No one could rescue the ram from the goat's power. The goat became very powerful, but at the height of his power, his large horn was broken off. In the large horn's place grew four prominent horns pointing in the four directions of the earth. Now, can we just pause for a second? And can you imagine having this dream? Rams and goats and horns and crazy fights. And Dan, I don't, Daniel must have been overwhelmed by what he saw. But we know the goat represents Greece. We know that already. The Medes and the Persians grew great, but this one was greater. And the male goat was none other than Greece. And the notable horn between his eyes was a guy by the name of Alexander the Great. We can look back on history with 2020 eyesight, clarity. Alexander the Great was the son of Philip of Macedon, who was himself a great conqueror, bringing Greece and Macedonia together. He was moving against the Medes and the Persians and was murdered when Alexander was just 19 years old. As Alexander was growing up, he worried his father because he was a bookworm, kind of a house-type child, reading all the time, studying. So he brought in a personal tutor for his son, a man by the name of Aristotle, who trained and tutored him until he was of age. At the age of 21, Alexander decided to avenge the death of his father by conquering the Medo-Persian Empire. And he took off to take on and take over the world. In just 11 years, he did so, moving rapidly and quickly, just as verse 5 says. Rapidly, he crossed the land so swiftly that he didn't touch the ground. He was vicious and furious and quick and methodical. But he also had a serious drinking problem, out of control. And in 323 BC is where verse 8 took place. 
the goat became very powerful, but at the height of his power, his large horn was broken off. When he became strong, his horn was broken. And there are a lot of stories surrounding his death. One notable one is that in his depression, his drinking increased. And why was he depressed? Well, sitting at the banks of the Euphrates, he lamented that there was nothing else to conquer, that he had done it all. He even argued with his generals, wanting to find someone else to take down and take over. And his drinking increased, and he died a drunk and depressed. Some even suggest in some stories that during his depression and drunkenness that Aristotle actually poisoned him. It was June 10, 323 B.C., cut off Alexander the Great at the age of 33. Now you say, Ed, why explain all these things in such detail? You see, because looking back on prophecy, we can see the detail of what God said. And as you look forward to prophecy, you too can see the details on what God said. Oh, Jesus is going to return. Oh, it's not going to happen. Oh, you know, can you think of, think of the prophetic word that was given to Noah? When we get back into Hebrews, Noah's the next guy we study. Imagine the prophetic word spoken to Noah. Go and build an ark. And then there's silence for about 100 years in his life as he's building the ark. It didn't happen overnight. We're reading the, the story of Noah and we turn a page and we're like, man, it happened so fast. No, it took a long time. It took a long time. And what, did, what, what was it that, hey, there's judgment going to come. And I'm building a boat for what? Oh, it's going to be a flood. Flood? What's a flood? Oh, it's going to rain. What's rain? And God is speaking prophetically to Noah's life, even though he hadn't seen it happen. And what happened? He had to what? Trust God. He had to live by faith. But see, your faith has substance. And your faith has evidence. And when you think of prophecy and the coming of the Lord and his coming at hand and the things that are happening in the world today that no other generation has ever, ever seen. And you go, well, you know, I don't know. I mean, that's all you, know, you guys, just prophecy. You're just obsessed with prophecy. Oh, yeah. oh, you guys, you just take the Bible seriously. Yes, yes, we do. And when I open up to chapter 8 of Daniel, Daniel took it seriously. And now we look back and go, man, this was accurate to a T of what God wanted to communicate and reveal to us. As remember, Daniel is a key to unlock prophecy in the Bible. It's a key to unlock revelation. It's called a little revelation. And to me, I love the book of Daniel. It's causing me to slow down and study harder. It's causing me to read more. And why did he get these visions? Notice back in verse 1. It says, during the third year of Belshazzar's reign, I saw another vision following the one that I had already appeared to me. He was receiving vision after vision because God was using repetition in his life. And I also believe he received another vision because he wanted God to speak to him. How often I hear people, I just don't hear from the Lord, I just don't understand, I don't know what's happening, and I'm not sure. And one of the questions you have to ask is, are you in the word? And you're like, well, yeah, I read the Bible. But do you read the Bible expecting God to speak to you? And when you read the Bible, are you letting God speak to you on the things he wants to speak to you? You come to God with this menu. Tell me this, tell me this, tell me this, tell me this. Like God is some fortune teller. He's just going to bend over backwards. Oh, I'll tell you everything you want to know. No, God is always the initiator. And what he speaks to us is what he wants us to know. 
Pastor Ed Taylor is developing his study of Daniel right now on Abounding Grace. Thanks for taking part in today's Bible study. To hear it again, visit our website at AboundingGraceRadio.com, or you can hear us through our app. Simply search for Calvary Aurora in the App Store or Google Play and download the free app today. We couldn't be more excited about the resource we picked out for you this month. It's a book by Max Lucado called In the Grip of Grace. The message of the world is try harder and work smarter. You've got it in you. You can do it. But the message of the Bible is something entirely different. In essence, we're told stop striving and being self-sufficient, but rather land in the arms of a God who loves you and be refreshed by His grace. Dive deep into the riches of God's grace as you read In the Grip of Grace. And we'll gladly send you a copy when you support Abounding Grace today with a gift of $25 or more. Just pick up the phone right now and call 877-30-GRACE. We want this radio ministry to be the sort of ministry that God uses too. And that's our prayer. It's our heart's desire. If you'd like to get behind what we're doing and offer a one-time gift or ongoing support, we would sure appreciate it. This would be a good time to hear from you. You can donate to the ministry at AboundingGraceRadio.com or, again, call 877-30-GRACE. Well, that's all the time we have for today, but come back next time when Pastor Ed Taylor will resume our series in Daniel on Abounding Grace. This is amazing grace. Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Church in Aurora, Colorado. 